All right. Welcome to the My One Life podcast. I'm Keith Wolf. I'm the managing director of Murray Resources. I'm also the CEO of Resume Spice. So Murray Resources is a recruiting firm based here in Houston, Texas, doing national searches. And Resume Spice is a national career coaching and resume writing service. So the two companies have combined to bring you this podcast. It's called My One Life. And if you've missed any episodes, you can go back and you can listen at myonelifepodcast.com. So we focus on areas to help professionals develop their life and their careers. This episode, though, is a little different. So if you've been listening for some time, you know from previous, previous episodes that we talk about networking and hiring and building a winning culture and developing your career and how to get ahead of work. We've interviewed CEOs and leadership management experts, remote work experts, even presidents of NFL teams, podcast influencers, and everyone in between. But today, you could actually argue this is our most important podcast yet, because this one is 100% about your health. And before you say, oh boy, another lecture about eating well and exercising, I get it. I listen to all the podcasts on health, and I've read the books, I've read the magazines, I've done triathlons, I thought I knew a lot. Um, and, and all that's important, you know, diet and exercise, but we're gonna get into so much more than that. And if you've always wondered, okay, who can help me cut through all the clutter that I hear? I believe today's guest will do that for you. Uh, a little teaser, uh, we're gonna talk about it at the end of the podcast. I, I saw uh, Dan Miller, today's guest, I saw him speak at our company retreat a couple months ago. And I went in thinking, oh, well, you know, the group's gonna get a lot out of this. And turns out not only did they, did they get a lot out of it, I lost 20 pounds since he spoke. And for me, those are 20 pounds or something I've been working on for a long time. So I, I know what he talks about works. I know that it's stuff that is really actionable. So I'm very excited to share his wisdom with you. And we're not only going to talk about sort of the basics, we're going to get into what world-class athletes and billionaires do, right? What do they, they have access to everything in the world, every resource you can imagine. What are they doing and what can we learn from that? So a quick bio, Dan. Um, Dan is an internationally renowned nutrition and fitness expert developing health and wellness programs for all walks of life, from executives to professional fighters and everyone in between. Dan's flexibility is paramount for him to push the discussion of dieting to one of vibrant longevity without disease or disorder. He has presented his strategies to tens of thousands of executives worldwide, helping them live longer and healthier lives, reduce healthcare costs, and achieve greater personal and workplace productivity. Dan's engaging interactive style has inspired thousands to achieve permanent life-changing results. He's been named Vistage International Speaker Showcase. In 2018, he was awarded the Vistage International Speaker of the Year. His programs are based on modern medical science in our evolutionary past. They target longevity with less disease as their primary goal, and they're designed to permanently end dieting and allow the body to heal as nature intended. In addition to being a world leader in nutrition and fitness, he's a 35-year veteran of the martial arts. He's practiced, coached, and studied many disciplines, including jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, and taekwondo. And physical feats are no stranger, as Dan is also a former Guinness World Record holder for the 48-hour treadmill marathon event. He holds three master degrees in business administration, and he, his education transcends, transcends nutrition, allowing him to identify with the challenges faced by today's executives. He reads an average of 100 books a year, so we don't have to. 
and he's an entrepreneur, adventurer, scientist, speaker, martial artist, scuba diver, ultra runner, mentor, business owner, writer, and father. Whew, okay, we got through that. I feel super lazy and unaccomplished, but thank you, Dan, for being here. Well, I appreciate you, and I want to make sure your listeners understand I only work half days. I'm not as busy as my my background sounds, so <laughs> okay. I purposely fairly clean and easy, that, uh, and I have the luxury of doing that now after, after working 75 hours a week for decades. Not something to brag about, but that's what it took to get here. Now I can work three hours a day and call it okay. Love that. Well, let's, let's start there. So you could do a, a lot of different things, and you have done a lot of different things, not a word that I've seen you use, but, you know, health and fitness guru. I mean, how did you get to this point and why did you choose this as your life's work? Yeah, you don't hear me use the word guru because I don't even know half of what's out there to know. So I'm always learning, but uh, I do what I do now. I, I mean, I've spent time in pharmaceuticals. I've spent time in manufacturing. I've spent time in the oil fields of North Dakota in valves and fittings. I've done all kinds of things. Uh, and I have three master's degrees in business, so I'm fairly flexible in that route. But about 10 years ago, I met a, a gentleman who is still today my mentor in the health and wellness space. And he simply asked me at an event he was speaking at, hey, Dan, how come you're not teaching this? You're a really good instructor. And I took that as a whisper. And, and the way I explain things to, especially to kids is, look, you're gonna hear some whispers on occasion. And if you don't listen to the whispers of the universe, you're going to have to listen to her screaming later on. Uh, and that's how I look at health too. I'm a whisperer if people meet me. Let's not wait for the scream, which might be that first heart attack. So I listen to the whisper of, here's a, a very successful globally renowned health expert saying, Dan, you should do what I do. So I leaned into that and started studying as much as I could, got a bunch of certifications in health and nutrition and, and wellness and exercise and and now we read about 100 books a year on that subject. I'm not out there reading Harry Potter. I'm reading about how the human machine works so that I can help people dial in their machine to live longer, better, faster, less disease. So, but I do it as, as an homage to my dead father. My dad died at 56. And I've taken it upon myself at, at 51 years old today. If I can stop one person from dying like my dad, that's why I'm here. And that's why I woke up today. So it feels better that way than working in pharmaceuticals where the, the thing was just sell more stuff. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is a, obviously a purpose, a bigger purpose. Um, well, let's start with, let's start with diet. Um, and I know even that word, you know, you try to get away from, from the word diet and, but you know, what are some of the mistakes people make just in their philosophy or approach to what they eat? You know, even what foods do people think are healthy that aren't? Kind of how, how are we thinking about it and how should we be thinking about it? Well, I like to break it down to something so, so easy for us to understand because if we just look at what we are, and this is where we've forgotten, maybe it's because we're too busy to remember, maybe it's because our ego gets in the way and we think, well, no, we're not, we're better than, mm -hmm. but we're nothing more than a tasty, wet, delicious bag of meat that belongs outside with all the other animals. So if we, if we just use strict Darwinian evolution, our entire multi-million year evolutionary past was spent outside. We would find what we could eat outside and we would eat that. Uh, if there wasn't food available, we wouldn't eat. 
So, and it was a, a matter of if there was food, eat it, eat it all, eat it right now. And if there wasn't food, okay, we'll be fine, but we'd better search for food as quickly as possible. It's a survival mechanism. So I ask people to, to just take a look at what we suck at, what we weren't programmed to do. And then if an industry is telling you to do those things, know that you're going to fail. It's just inevitable. When we look at diet failure rates, they're 97% at five years or less. Most diets don't even last a year and people fail. And they fail because diets, typical diets, will ask you to do things you're not programmed to do. One of those things being count calories. You're not programmed to count calories. It's hard to count calories when you don't even know how many calories you're gonna burn later today. And you, if you exceed this energy balance by 50 or 100 calories a day, oops, I ate 100 more calories today, if you do that for 30 days in a row, you're magically gaining a pound mm -hmm. without even knowing it. And 100 calories is nothing. It's a couple of bites of a really tasty, delicious ribeye steak. And all of a sudden, you've gone too far. So we count calories. We measure portions, which, again, we're horrible at. We're just horrible at measuring portions. And then most diets will say, just have everything you want. Just do it in moderation. And humans are notoriously horrible at moderation as well. And if, if somebody's listening doesn't believe me, hey, pick up some French fries and tell me how you do. Just eat a couple, I dare you. Right, I mean, wasn't it Lay's potato chips that had a whole marketing campaign around that? You can't eat just one? Yeah, yeah. you can't eat just one. No way, it's not gonna work. I can't eat just one. If you give me a potato chip, I'm having the whole damn bag. Mm -hmm. So we suck at things that we're told we have to do to be successful in a diet. And it's just not true. What we have to do to be successful in a diet and keep a good emotional relationship with living in this country, which is amazing because the food is great, is we have to most of the time, and I mean 95% of the time, we have to choose foods that'll do the hard stuff for us. Mm -hmm. So if I were to say what foods will regulate caloric consumption for me, it's probably not going to be ice cream or french fries. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be things like celery and carrots and snap peas and green beans and uh, raspberries. Good luck hurting yourself with any of the plants because nature's got a way of stopping you from hurting yourself with her foods. And the plants are always the first one I go to because they're the slowest. And, and if people have forgotten this, humans are pathetically slow when we go outside. And just as a challenge, I would dare anyone listening to go try to catch any animal outside with your bare hands. I want to watch. I want to see the video. It's going to be hilarious. Mm -hmm. right? Even the butterflies are giggling at us when we try to catch them without a net. So we suck. We suck at catching stuff. So why not eat the plants first? They're slow. They don't bite back. They're non-migratory. We can grow them in our backyard. Mm -hmm. And then if, there's aren't if there aren't plants available, we eat the animal family. We've been eating animals for most of our evolutionary past. We we've had fire for 800,000 plus years as humans. We've been cooking our meat for a long, long time. Uh, we had early technology in the form of uh, spears and rocks so that we could even the score a little bit and get at the top of the food chain instead of being in the middle. So we've been eating animals and plants for millions of years. Animals, it turns out, regulate calories really well for you because protein, that macronutrient, is one of the macronutrients, and it's the one that fills you up the quickest. 
Mm. So protein fills you up very fast. If you're trying to lose weight and you suck at doing it, just make sure you have copious amounts of protein at every meal. And if you do have a plant on your plate, make sure it's got boatloads of fiber because fiber in the plant world is what slows us down from hurting ourselves. And the example I always give Keith is, it's so easy. Look, if you wanna just try this challenge, I would love somebody to send me more videos of this because it's hilarious to watch. But I wanna watch someone eat six donuts in one sitting. And I'm gonna time it and see how fast you can do it because that's about 2000 calories, right? Mm -hmm. So how long would that take you, Keith? Six donuts. I mean, few minutes. I mean, yeah. I can just mow them down. Yeah. Less not, than no eight time. Minutes, right. Yes, for so sure. 2000 calories, eight minutes for sure. So the challenge I put forth, you can send that video. I like that. That's <laughs> funny. I want to watch the video of you doing that with celery <laughs> or carrots. Yeah. Because if you try it with carrots to get to 2000 calories, you need 10.5 pounds. It is mm. physically impossible to eat 10 and a half pounds of food in one sitting. If it's carrots, Good luck. Uh -huh. it's, it's just, that's why the professional eating competitions don't have you do that with carrots because you can't uh -huh. gobble those in one bite. You need to chew and chew and chew. And then all of a sudden your jaw gets tired and might even lock up. Uh -huh. You're going to have all kinds of problems. And that's the same with raspberries. It's nine and a quarter pounds of raspberries to get to 2000 calories. Uh -huh. If somebody were to send that video, it's going to look like a crime scene before they're done. And they will find out very, very quickly that the fiber that nature put in your way when you're eating her foods, uh, it's also going to make it look like a crime scene in the bathroom because it will catch up with you, right? Mm -hmm. You can't overeat the plants. It's almost impossible. Mm. And it's very, very tough if you're eating lean chicken breast to get to 2000 calories as well, or mm -hmm. a white fish. I mean, go cook up some Caribbean grouper and see if you do 2000 calories. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. So I ask people, if you never want to diet again, if you want weight loss to just be a, a thing that happens by accident, switch your diet to primarily the five plant categories plus anything made of an animal or its egg. I, I hope that you guys are staying away from breast milk. If you're not a baby, you don't need breast milk. So we could leave that one alone. I'm, I'm not, I don't pick on people too much if they got a little bit of goat cheese or sheep cheese, but let's leave the breast milk alone. Uh -huh. And let's stick with the five plant categories, which are fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and legumes. Uh -huh. And then anything with a face or a family or the egg of something that has a face or a family. And we're going to be great. Uh -huh. Those calories are all going to self-regulate. You can eat those pretty much whenever you want to. You can, you're not going to hurt yourself with them. And then on occasion, right? What we do in our house is a couple of days a month. You have whatever you want to keep a good emotional relationship with Auntie Annie's pretzels, mm -hmm. you have Auntie Annie's pretzels once a month, maybe twice. And when you put that kind of food in front of you, when you order a pizza, you have permission then, because it's your feast day, to eat it all. Eat it all without guilt, eat it all without moving, just like nature programmed you to do, just mm -hmm. shove it all in there. Have all of the brownies, the whole pan. <laughs> And if you're listening, put weed in their brownies, great. Then have two pans, whatever you want to do. <laughs> like you have permission in this country to eat. Mm -hmm. It's if you choose foods like French fries and cheese sticks and brownies and pizza that don't regulate calories for you, you're going to run into problems with extra weight. That's mm -hmm. just how it works. 
And if somebody's still doubting if that's how that works, go ahead and start feeding your dog the same food you feed yourself and tell me how quickly your dog becomes obese hmm. because that's what happens. So, so yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it really is hard. I eat a lot of carrots, a lot of carrots, but I, I yeah, ten, when you say 10 pounds, I, I don't think I could do that. I think I would, I would give up a little bit before that. Um, let, let's talk related to diet, um, you know, the different, I don't know if you call them diets, but, you know, paleo and, you know, Atkins uh, used to be popular, you know, a vegan diet, which, you know, people have different reasons for that. And um, not all of them are, are personal health related, but just sticking to just the health related aspects yeah. of each of those and, and, and others. Um, how do you feel about those when you hear them? I, you know, are there any that, you know, you would say are, are healthier than others? Or kind of what's your thought there? Well, we're all, there's almost 8 billion of us on the planet now, and we're all a little biologically different. So some people will respond very, very well to a heavy vegetable and plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. Some people will respond very, very well to a primarily carnivore type diet. Mm -hmm with maybe some berries sprinkled in to get their brain a little bit of extra sugar. Um, so I tell you what, there, and there's diet wars out there, but here's what makes the most logical sense to me mm -hmm. is that if everyone can just agree, no matter where you live, to do three things with your diet, okay? Primarily plants and animals. That's the 95% of your diet should be plants and animals. And then we do three things with that. We do local, we do seasonal, and as organic as your wallet will allow, right? A lot of people can't uh, afford organic. Good, mm -hmm. don't worry so much about that mm -hmm. if you've got plants and animals in your cart. Mm -hmm. If they are local and seasonal, you will most likely fare better in your attempt at staying healthy. And the reason for that is uh, the folks that I know in Northern Iceland, it is nearly impossible for them to be vegan. Simply because local, seasonal, and, and organic, there's no fruits. There's not even a lot of vegetables or nuts and seeds in the winter. So good luck being a vegan in Iceland. And I know we've got transportation. I know we've got modern technology. The problem is the carbon footprint of getting bananas to northern Iceland will be much greater than that person just simply going out and fishing and grabbing a fish right out of their own backyard uh, Iceland's surrounded by ocean and there's fish all over in it. So maybe a Northern Icelandic person will have to eat a different diet than someone living in Southern California. That's right. okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I just ask people to, if you're eating vegan and you're doing vegan Rice Krispie bars and vegan pizza and vegan French fries, that's still not healthy. Mm -hmm. So let's, I tell people to strip the labels off. Ask yourself, if I were to shut the power off, if I just turn the grid off, what are you going to eat in the next six months? Because we maybe got six months of canned goods somewhere in some of the stores, but yeah. then the, the fact of the matter is we will hunt and gather and that's what we'll eat. Mm -hmm. And hunting and gathering is going to be radically different in the Arizona desert than it will up here in Minnesota where I live. Yeah. So local seasonal organic, if you can afford it, plants and animals. And then realize this, if your pocketbook is a little light, animals are expensive. 
So switch to a mostly plant diet then because it's much, much cheaper to buy carrots and celery and, and dried beans and cook those up and get a bunch of your protein from the plants. There's nothing wrong with that. Not quite as bioavailable as the animal protein, but if somebody's on a budget, heck, my oldest son uh, did an experiment where he could do a full array of macronutrients and micronutrients to keep a human alive, full organic for 580 a day. It was almost all plants and non-organic. It was like 250 to three bucks a day to, to get all over 2000 calories a day for $3 a day, but it was all plants and it was a fairly yeah. bland diet. Yeah. But we're able to do that and a full micronutrient profile, all the vitamins and minerals. It's really not that difficult. We're being sold a lie that it is difficult mm -hmm. because somebody's always trying to sell us something. Yeah. And yeah. all I want people to realize is you don't need to be sold anything. You need a garden in your backyard and something to hunt some animals with if you choose to, and, and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was vegan for about 18 months. And the number one question I got was, are you getting enough protein? I mean, people who I didn't know, or I don't think they ever cared what I put into my mouth suddenly were very invested yeah. on whether I was getting enough protein. So I was I always thought that was funny. And then when I found out that Oreos were vegan, I was absolutely thrilled. Like you said, just because it's vegan or vegetarian doesn't mean it's healthy. And so, yeah, I, uh, I ate quite a few Oreo sleeves uh, during that period. Um, let's let's uh, transition over to exercise for a second. So we're going to cover the basics. We're, we're doing the diet, you know, and, and people probably got a lot of new information they had to consider. And now let's go over to exercise. And of course, you know, we should be running, you know, three hours a day if we had time. We should be lifting two hours. We should be stretching for an hour. That would be great. Nobody has time for that anymore, right? So, what are some of the basics that we should consider? Considering that everybody listening is extremely busy, I'm sure there's people who say I don't have enough time to exercise at all. I don't think that's true, but let's just say, okay, what are the basics? What should we make sure we do? Yeah. So uh, back in 1960, there was a Japanese pedometer company that wanted to sell pedometers and they made up uh, a number and they said, go move, go move 10,000 steps a day. That's a made up number from a Japanese marketing company in 1960s. So, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's 2022 and I still talk about that number and here's why. Uh, it, Dr. Lee published a study in the Journal of American Medical Association back in 2019 this was an observational study done in Japanese women with a mean age of 72. So she studied well over 16,000 women for seven days, followed them around, tracked their average steps for seven days. Now, keep in mind, these were 72-year-old women, and she looked at movement. And what she found when she started comparing groups she looked at all-cause mortality over the next four to five years. So she observed them, put them in a group based on their average movement, and then watched how they died in the next five years. And what she found, the results were published in the most mainstream medical journal on the planet. And it's fascinating to me that we're not talking about this on mainstream media because what Dr. Lee found is that women who move 4,700 steps a day versus those who moved 2,400 steps a day had a 42% less likelihood of all-cause death. Mm. So Keith, if I were to tell you there's a pill that we give to 70-year-olds, and when we give them this pill, they're 42% less likely to die, and the side effect is nothing. 
how many people do you think would be popping that pill? Yeah, everybody. Being a billion yeah. dollar, if not a trillion dollar drug worldwide because there's no side effects. Mm -hmm. So listen, it's observational, right? It's correlative, not causative. And I get all of this all the time from folks. Well, that's just observational data. Of course, people who can move more will move more and they have less disease and that's why they live longer. But look, here's the fact of the matter. There's no downside risk in doubling your movement. None at all. She found numbers keep going lower and lower in mortality as she got up to about 7,500 steps a day. And then the data plateaued. So if we're looking at clinical data on how much should a human move, and we want a good correlative study that was done in 16,000 people over five years, it's 7,500 steps a day. That's a really good start. Okay, I still like 10,000 because when I'm standing, I'm burning more calories. Yeah. When I'm standing, I have less stress on my lower back. When I'm standing, I'm developing muscles in my legs and feet that help me age better because I have better muscles in my lower body. When I'm standing, I produce different hormones than when I'm sitting. So I might even be more productive. There's all kinds of benefits to just standing up mm -hmm. and moving more. And, and here's how things used to work, right? If we just go back a couple 10,000 years, we moved about 28,000 steps a day just to get the food and build the shelter and make sure everyone was safe. So 28,000 steps a day might be a bit extreme when the average American is moving about 3,000. So let's just get everyone to agree. If you got an Apple watch, close the damn ring. It, it closes at 10,000, let's go. It's not that difficult if, and focus on this, you have a standing desk at work. Mm -hmm. The science there is stand up for a half an hour, then sit down for half an hour, stand up for half an hour, then sit down for a half an hour and repeat that process until you go home. Most folks will find that number one, they have almost 10,000 steps before they even leave the office. And number two, they're less likely to snack when they're in the standing position. We naturally eat less food when we're standing up. It's mm -hmm. magic. Yeah. And burn way more calories. So weight loss for me happens in the foraging. I call that foraging, you guys. Mm -hmm. It's slow movement, right? Just make sure you got 10,000 steps and you, didn't know, you don't have to go run. Yeah. yeah. And then we hunt. So we forage and we hunt. And hunting is fast, violent, explosive movement. And if folks forgot what that looks like, it's built into humans. You can watch it in children. Before we tell children what to do for exercise, we simply watch them play outside and we will find periods of rest and then periods of bursting exercise in intervals. Well, now we call that Tabata workouts or high intensity interval training or orange theory fitness or CrossFit or, you know, what the Peloton people did, I think was genius. And, and not, you know, my conspiracy theory is always Peloton released the virus because look at their sales. It's just too coincidental. But uh, the Peloton people did something magic. They took uh, an at-home spin bike. And if you're not familiar with what those used to look like in the 80s and 90s, that's where you hung your clothes because nobody used them. They buy them with good intentions. And three months later, they were a clothes rack. Well, what Peloton did is slapped a screen on the front put a tribal support network in there and said, don't be last. Mm -hmm. And people use them daily or at least three times a week because we do better when there's tribal support when we're moving fast.
Yeah. So what I advise my clients and what I would advise anyone listening to this is forage daily. Make sure your watch or your ring or whatever you're using to track your movement says at least 10,000 steps a day. That should be your 911 minimum before you go to bed. And then three times a week, maybe two times a week, grab a group of friends and go to a class where you have to move fast in intervals whether that's CrossFit or Orange Theory or, you know, go join Lifetime Fitness and go do the class called DRIP. I dare you. It's hilarious to watch how people look when they're done with a class called DRIP. Yeah. Uh, and you're sweaty and gross. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I've become, I mean, anyone who knows me, I mean, Peloton, absolute fanatic, right? And I, I never really thought I would like it. I heard people talk about it, but it's something about having that screen and, and, being motivated by that, you know, that by that person on the screen telling you what to do. And it's just, it's hard to describe, not that we're a commercial for Peloton or these other things, yeah. but it does make a big difference. Um, yeah. And the 28,000 steps, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. I wouldn't want to do that. That's like a, that's like a day at Disney. That's too much. Yeah. Well, um, at Disney, that's, that's a blast, but it gets weird, right? Right. Right. Every day like that. Um, Every day. So that's, so the, that's great. That, that's a, a perfect sort of baseline, right? So yeah. exercise, diet. I want to I wanna get into some, some other stuff that I think is maybe a little bit more advanced that not everybody thinks about all the time, but maybe, maybe they do. And as I told Dan, kind of when we were talking before recording, you don't need me, right? You could talk about whatever, you, you know, you could do an hour by yourself and completely mesmerize everybody. But I, you know, it's, I've got to, I've got to be here and ask the questions to, 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 uh, tee you up, to tee you up for what I think the audience is, is really going to love. Um, the, the first thing is, is fasting. Um, you know, a lot has been said about intermittent fasting and or how long you fast, how you do it. And it's just, you know, a lot of people are, are converts to it. Um, give us your thoughts on it, how you would recommend going about it for people who have never done it before, or maybe those that have. Yeah. Well, so you guys, intermittent fasting is called a diet fad, right? And, and I don't like fad diets, but let me, let me break this down for you. Uh, 10,000 years ago, intermittent fasting was called waking up and having to go get your own damn food before you'd shove it in your mouth. And then you'd uh, eat a couple of meals and then it's time to get to bed and, and move back in and, and do more movement again tomorrow before you eat. So intermittent fasting was humans before refrigeration and maybe even humans before a cereal company told us breakfast is the most important meal of the day. A lot of people forgot that that's where that came from. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day is not what grandma and grandpa used to tell you. It's a cereal company that told you that because they had something to sell. So intermittent fasting is simply delaying that first meal for a period of time to allow your body to burn a little bit more body fat and clean up and repair. So this is how the machine works, right? I woke up in a $50 million machine made out of meat and water. It's amazing. This thing's gonna last me 130 years. I'm 51, I got 79 more years to go. Come with, I'll show you that it's possible because it is, we know this, right? So this thing, when I don't put food in my mouth hole, eats itself. Now let's just think for a second, that sounds weird, but is that possible to happen, right? So if I were to go out in Minnesota here into the woods and put extreme food pressure on the deer population, who dies first? The weak deer 
or the strong deer. Mm -hmm. It's always the weak. The weak dies first. So when I put food pressure on my system, my body will have to go and find things to make new cells. And it's going to pick on the weak and the dying, the senescent cells, those cells that aren't really viable to keep us moving forward tomorrow. If I never do that, and I always keep jamming food in here, it's never going to have the same opportunity until I'm sleeping to calm some of that stuff down. And what, what I tell people is when the janitors come out, when you're sleeping, they come out and clean up and repair. Mm -hmm. Well, if I don't put food in for the first three hours while I'm awake, it does the same thing. It's still cleaning up and repairing. And, and I just delay breakfast till one o'clock most days. So for me, I usually have a six hour feeding window, meaning breakfast happens at one and dinner happens at seven. The other 18 hours while I'm awake or the eight while I'm sleeping, right? 10 while I'm awake, eight while I'm sleeping, my body's just eating itself. It's burning the fat. So it's a great way to, to help your body burn a little bit more fat is stop putting so much damn food in there. And then it's cleaning up the weak and the dying. So it ramps up cellular autophagy, which is that cleanup and repair of weak and dying cells. It's a great boost for the immune response because then my immune system doesn't have to struggle through all of that noise that some of those senescent cells might be making. It's not actual noise, but it might be chemical noise that it has to fight through. And it lowers some inflammation responses. And the reason a lot of people have such great results with it is because it's naturally calorically restrictive, right? I'm just eating two meals in a six hour window instead of three meals and three snacks in a 14 hour window. It's radically different. So you're not going to break your metabolism. It's very hard to break. And now some people can, right? I can massively calorically restrict for months at a time. And then all of a sudden I slow my metabolic rate down. That happens. But it's, it's not that easy to do if we just pay attention. When this thing is screaming for you to eat, shove food in there. Make sure mm -hmm. it's plants and animals. Okay. And then if you're not hungry, you don't have to shove food in there. I don't wake up starving. So I don't put food in. My body is just taking care of itself. I'll put a little coffee in in the morning. Sometimes I put something in my coffee, some collagen protein, but we keep the calories under 50 calories in our coffee. So we're not putting that much stuff in there. And then yep. you're good. And, and if you guys want to read a book on that, the best book you'll ever read on that is The Longevity Diet by Walter Longo. Uh, he's still doing research on longevity at the Salk Institute in Southern California. Beautiful human being, wonderful book on stop eating so damn much food and some of the awesome physiological effects that happen when you do that, when you shorten your feeding window and when you uh, just lean into two meals a day instead of six. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions. I, mean, I, I hear people ask it all the time, right? Is it better to eat multiple small meals a day or a couple of larger meals a day? Or I mean, maybe that's thinking about it the wrong way, small, yeah. big, and how many, but is there a thought behind that? I mean, what, what do you well, subscribe to? So I can speed up metabolic rate by feeding you every two hours. I'm going to feed you tiny meals every two hours, and that's going to really ramp up your metabolic rate. But mm -hmm. that's great. That'll be great for weight loss. But what's that doing for longevity? Mm. And, and my, uh, my concern is always, it's not just about weight loss. It's about how do I get you to the finish line, making the finish line out to 110 years old instead of 78 and dying of a heart attack, right? This thing can look really, really good 
with an intermittent fasting protocol, or it can look really, really good with 14 hours a day eating every two to three hours. Which one of those makes you a slave to food? Mm. Got it. Got it. Now I'm a yeah. slave to meals. That sucks. It's yeah. okay. Some people will want to do that if they're trying to stack on huge amounts of muscle. Yeah. Some people will do that if they're going into a bikini competition. Great. Follow whatever that person's advice is that's training you through it. But yes. know from a longevity standpoint, from a human longevity standpoint, if I can affect positively the insulin pathway by eating less food, specifically sugar there, and if I can affect positively the mTOR pathway, which is a protein pathway, if I can positively affect those, I can live longer. And that studies, the studies are done, they've done some beautiful studies in roundworms where they've actually had some, now we're not roundworms, right? We're way more complicated, but we can actually cleave genes off of roundworms where we have that technology. They've been able to extend the life of roundworms by 900% by affecting insulin and mTOR. Well, we have those same pathways and it turns out for longevity purposes, if we eat less in a smaller window, we affect those pathways naturally mm. rather than having to always watch what we eat. Okay. Now, if you're eating at fast food places and it's French fries at two meals in a six hour window, that'll still have a positive effect, but I highly uh, I wanna dissuade people from eating fast food in your feeding window. Stick with mm. plants and animals still, you'll find yourself just naturally eating less. Maybe yeah. put a snack in there if you need it, right? Get some beef jerky or some healthy nuts, put a snack in there if you have to have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, listen to the body. The machine will sometimes tell you I don't want steak today. So don't yeah. eat steak. Yeah, got yeah. it. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about sleep. Um, that's something that, you know, it seems like more and more books are coming out about it, right? Ariana Huffington wrote a book about it and used to be you know, the hustle culture was all about hey, look how much work I can do. Look how much I can do without my sleep. And I think people are a lot more aware of that. But talk about how do you think about sleep, how much sleep somebody should get, how they should track it, um, the importance of it. Yeah, well, sleep, lack of sleep is the number two weight gain in modern cities. So if somebody's listening and they're like, God, I wish I could lose weight, stop relying on wishes and hopes and dreams for your health and start doing something about it. Uh, proper sleep is going to help you eat better, give you more energy to exercise tomorrow. It's going to help with your relationships and your productivity. So, so go to bed, try to schedule between seven and nine hours. We're all different. Again, this is biological individuality plays a role here. But what I tell people is the best way to see how, you're, how you, Keith, are supposed to sleep is to go camping in a tent for seven days. Mm -hmm. You tell me how sleep looks on day seven, I will tell you that's how you're supposed to be sleeping in regular life as well. Because the circadian patterns that are set by nature when, when this animal goes back outside where it belongs, it all works itself out. And that's a good way to just, let's figure out how we're supposed to sleep. Because some people are night people and some people are morning people. Mm -hmm. I have a client who gets 48% deep sleep a night. Yeah. That dude doesn't need nine hours. He's getting so much deep sleep that he wakes yeah. up at six and a half and feels amazing. Yeah. Great. Well, we wouldn't know that if we weren't tracking it. Yeah. Fitbit tracks it. The Whoop tracks it. The Apple Watch, Garmin, this ring, the Ura ring tracks sleep. Mm -hmm. Great resources for that. So track your sleep. And if you're getting huge amounts of deep sleep, look and see how you feel when you get up naturally after seven, six, seven hours. You, you might not need more than that. 
But if you're like me, I have some genetic uh, variabilities that don't allow good deep sleep. So when I go to sleep, I get maybe 11% deep sleep a night and that's a good day. So I need closer to eight and a half or nine hours to feel as good as I possibly could. If I shorten that intentionally because I'm good, I'll sleep when I'm dead, it, the studies show that you'll probably die sooner. <laughs> right. it, it, they do. I mean, the 20-year and 30-year observational studies on short sleepers are out there. I'm going to refer to one that was published back in 2018 in a psychological journal. I just want folks to be aware of this if, if they have children mm-hmm. or if they're still a human as an adult because our brains are still human. So there was a study done. They took 38,000 uh, high school age students and they, uh, they looked at sleep patterns and suicide attempts. So 2018, in, in one of the most well-known psychological journals, they published a study on suicide attempts in teenagers who slept only six hours versus their peers who slept eight. And what they found is six-hour sleepers versus eight-hour sleepers had 116% more likelihood of attempting suicide. So the brain's going to be the first organ to suffer if we don't go to bed and if we don't get at least eight hours. Now, some teenagers, when their bones and muscles are growing, might need 11 or 12 hours of sleep. we got to start listening to our bodies a little bit here. But it's no different as adults. The brain still needs rest. It needs to clear some of the garbage from metabolizing sugar all day. And if we don't give it a good seven to nine hours to do it, it's probably not going to function very well, especially as we age. Yeah. And the price we pay for that in the short term is eating more calories unconsciously, not having the energy to work out and getting a little bit more testy with people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You don't get eight hours of sleep and you're a little harder to deal with. That's how we all are. Yeah. Well, go to bed and then you have all this energy to do this stuff. I love the fact that Matthew McConaughey, I've, I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. He brags about getting nine and a half hours of sleep. And I think with anyone that wants to be successful, instead of bragging that you're only getting six, and that you're a workaholic, start bragging about the fact that you're stupid successful and you get tons of sleep as well. It's a better bragging point. It's way healthier in the long run. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty militant with our girls about sleep, but after I heard that statistic, you, know, you shared that at our, uh, at our event at our company. I mean, I, I went home. I know it's, I know it's six o'clock, get into bed. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. crazy. Um, what a difference that makes, you know, especially for children. Um, the one of the one of the topics you talked about that uh, really gave me an excuse to just what I thought was just a, a pamper and not something that you really need is saunas, right? Yeah. And so I, I would you know if I sit in a sauna, it's like wow, what a what a treat. I mean, I know I don't really need this, but it feels so good. And what? And then you you brought up, I mean, really the 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 health benefits of saunas. So. For anyone who's interested in a, in a sauna, just uh, let, let us know the benefits. Yeah, well, Dr. Dr. Laukinen in Finland published a, a wonderful, again, an observational study, but this is a 21-year-long study where he looked at patients uh, that, that saunaed three times a week or saunaed every day, and then he compared the three times a week or every day sauna uh, folks to his patients who didn't sauna at all. And after adjusting the numbers for lifestyle factors, meaning people who sauna daily probably eat better, exercise more, and don't smoke as often as those who don't sauna. So the numbers were adjusted downward. He was able to publish this 21-year study in the Journal of American Medical Association. That was published back in 2015. 
Uh, I've heard Dr. Laukinen on several podcasts, again, fascinating to listen to, but what he found after a 21-year follow-up period in 46 to 71-year-olds, right? These are middle age, upper age. I'm not middle-aged yet. I'm living to 130, so I'm 51. I, I'm not quite middle-aged, but uh, you know, these are people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s when they started the trial. They're, they're 21 years older than that when, when the observation period was done. But he found three times a week sauna folks versus those who didn't sauna were uh, on average about 30% less likely to die from cardiovascular death, 20% uh, less likely to die from anything at all. And there was a 40% reduction in Alzheimer's. And look, folks, it, there's a new drug on the market for Alzheimer's just approved last year that I believe if I read the data correctly has about a 3% efficacy against Alzheimer's. Mm. Here's a study that took 21 years to complete published in the most mainstream medical journal on the planet. That's got a 40% reduction. And that's the small number because those who saunaed daily when compared with their peers who didn't sauna showed right around a 50% reduction in cardiovascular death Mm -hmm. a 40% reduction in death from anything, including cancers and strokes, and a, about a 65% reduction in Alzheimer's. So, so why, is, why is that? What it biologically is happening? Yeah, well, if, if we look at what happens when we sauna, we're, we're sitting in a superheated environment that's going to force our bodies to vasodilate. And that vasodilation uh, is going to speed per nutrients to peripheral tissue and the brain being a primary peripheral tissue, right? It's this far away from the heart, the feet being uh, more peripheral tissue, the hands. So when I get more blood flow, I get more nutrients. And that's always a good idea. I also am able to clear more waste product when my blood vessels are wide open. Mm -hmm. And they're wide open because my body's trying to cool off. I'm also sweating. When I'm that hot, when I'm in a sauna, I'm typically sweating. That means we're clearing, uh, sweat is one of those biological pathways to get stuff out. And it turns out it's a really good way to chelate uh, some heavy metals so we can sweat profusely and, and hopefully get rid of some extra heavy metals in our body that may not be cleared in our stool or in our urine. Mm. And vasodilation is important because when I step out of the sauna, I slowly vasoconstrict. And if I do that every day, I vasodilate, then I vasoconstrict, that leads to what they call vascular compliance. And basically it's just your blood vessels have been doing yoga, so they're more bendy. And bendy blood vessels lead directly to less stroke and heart attack because they're more pliable, they're more compliant. So I have direct correlations there. Plus I'm burning calories, which helps with weight loss. That's fantastic. I'm also burning most of those calories from sugar. So this is lowering overall glycemic load and when we look at Dale Bredesen's work in Alzheimer's, we'll learn very, very quickly that Alzheimer's is primarily a sugar disorder, specifically in the brain because of the advanced glycation end products that come from sugar metabolism. So if I can lower glycemic load, get more nutrients up there, clear more toxic waste, uh, get rid of some heavy metals that may be accumulating in the brain uh, and be more vascularly compliant to reduce my stroke risk, well, all of that makes sense that we'd see less Alzheimer's and and less uh, cardiovascular disease. The mm. thing that people need to realize is that even certain cancer cells may react positively to extreme amounts of heat. Meaning uh, if we look at say hyperthermic treatments uh, for some certain types of tumors, uh, extreme heat can, can kill certain types of cancer cells. And I'll tell you, I go into my infrared sauna and it's extreme heat and that's every morning. That's what we do as part of our morning ritual to wake up because heat wakes a human up very, very quickly. So we go down and sit in the sauna, 
giant infrared light shining in our face, have some coffee after our shower. When that is done, life's amazing. So I'm hoping, and, and, I, and I can't wait to see some more hard data on this, that that's also going to lower overall lifetime cancer risk because we're always putting heat pressure on the system. And the healthy cells know what to do with heat pressure. They've been, they, they're well adapted for you to live in the desert or for you to live in Northern Alaska. We're, we're very, very adaptable that way in the short term. Our body has compensatory mechanisms to deal with extreme heat or extreme cold. The weak cells don't. Mm. The weak cells can't adapt. The healthy cells can. So we, again, this is the same as food. If I put heat pressure on an animal, animal population that lives outside, the weak will always die first. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that cellularly, globally inside my body, I'm only leaving the strong when I step out of that sauna. Mm -hmm. So the strong are there and the weak are causing far less inflammatory problems in the long term because I just killed them. Mm -hmm. So I call sauna kill the weak. And, and I also look at this as, look, if you're, if, if you're peeing every day and you're pooping every day, then you should be sweating every day as well because it's one of those primary pathways to get stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go do that. Matthew McConaughey, I guess, is a guru because you remember the, the sleep and I remember from him, he says sweat every day. So mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's like our, our, uh, our Yoda. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, uh, you, you, I mean, you, so you get up in the morning, you sauna, you drink coffee and I immediately go to, wow, he's super dehydrated. Yeah. So, you know, is there water in there or kind yeah, of almost a liter of water in the sauna? Oh, do you? So, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You guys, look, your mitochondria that make your energy need hydrogen and oxygen. They have to have those two molecules or those little things that are inside your cells can't make energy without mm -hmm. hydrogen and oxygen. Yes they'll find a little bit of it when you drink your coffee. But really the best way to get hydrogen and oxygen in is when you combine it in a liquid form called water and you shove that in there. Mm. So again, I always go back to the animal world and, and look outside and go, what does every animal on the planet drink? Mm -hmm. And it's the only thing they drink. Mm -hmm. Why are we the ones going, no, Diet Coke's just fine. <laughs> is, it, is it? Then give your dog Diet Coke and let's watch how quickly it be becomes problematic for your right. dog. Right. right, dog coffee every morning and red wine every night. Let's see how long that becomes. It's going to be a problem very quickly. And people forget that we're 94% the same genetic material as dogs, right? Yeah. We're different, but a lot of it's the same. So if it's negatively going to affect our animals and we're not doing that to them, why are we thinking that just because it doesn't kill us right away, that it's totally okay to do every single day? Right. I, right. I'm fine with some coffee. I'm fine with some red wine. Just make water the primary beverage. And in the way I tell people is, look, it's going to take you about an hour to wake up anyway. That's a natural process. You shouldn't spring out of bed and be chirping like a bird. It takes humans about an hour to wake up. Mm -hmm. Well, in that hour, put tons of water in there. You'll wake up faster. Sit yeah. in a really hot box and you'll yeah. wake up faster because heat wakes a human up very quickly. Light in the red-orange spectrum wakes a human up very quickly. So sit in a, a, a red light sauna, get some beautiful heat on your body, drink a bunch of water, hit the showers, and then have your coffee. Huh. You're already well hydrated and woken up before you shove the drugs in there. Yeah. And then the drug is actually going to act as a nootropic to help you function better instead of acting as just a, well, I need this to wake up. Mm. Easier yeah. that way. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm guilty of a lot of what you're saying. I, I need to drink a lot more water and a lot less coffee. Um, lost 20 pounds since I saw you. And I just, you guys, if you're listening to this, I just found this out today. So I can't wait until you tell people how, because first of yeah. all, if you met Keith, if he stands up, he didn't look like he needed to lose 20 pounds. So the fact that you did, awesome. And, and I call that accidental weight loss because you didn't look like you needed to lose 20. So I think that's powerful. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And, I'll, and like I said, I'll share what I did. I, I don't know that it works for other people, but um, definitely has been working for me and really has been easy. Um, I, so, so saunas, you know, folks can think that's a luxury, um, but clearly it has benefits. Another, another thing that I think maybe people think is a luxury, it's gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of airtime lately. And I think a lot of people who've even tried to struggle with it is meditation. Yeah. So, you know, how do you, how do you think about it? How important is it? Do you do it? Yeah. Well, that? there's, this, so right now we're sitting in this weird little brainwave state called beta brainwaves. And this is the brainwave state that kept humans alive outside because every eight to 28 seconds, you're scanning for danger. Your brain's leaving here. It's thinking about something else. It's, I've looked at the window and looked at my cute little nine month old puppy over here. Uh, many, many times while I've been talking to this green light on my computer. Mm -hmm. So we're just programmed to watch for danger. There goes some food. I should probably go get that. Or that might be a tiger. I better be on the lookout. When we're in that, that state, that's normal for humans to operate most of the day. It's very reactive and it's kind of scattered and it's hard to pay attention. Now, if I were to take you surfing and I suck at surfing, you guys, I, and the surfing in Minneapolis is horrible, right? So I have to go to California to surf. But if I were to go surfing with you, Keith, I guarantee you, you're not in the beta brainwave state when you're on the wave. Mm. You will be in the alpha brainwave or what we call the meditative brainwave state because you have to be, because that's what keeps you safe on a surfboard. Mm -hmm. Or if somebody on this uh, call or podcast is, is downhill skiing, you're going to be in an alpha state on the way down mm -hmm. because that's what keeps you safe when you're on skis headed down a mountain or when you're scuba diving or when, you know, I've got people that I talk to that get into a meditative state when they're gardening. And why that's important is because if we never leave the reactive state and we sit in a state where we're non-reactive, I look at this as how are we ever going to clear space to create if we're always reacting? Mm -hmm. If I can spend some time clearing space to create, I'm actually way more productive than if I hadn't done it. Mm -hmm. So we used to think, well, you're sitting there doing nothing. You're wasting time. I'm like, no, I'm creating time because I'm going to be much more productive when I'm done. And there's some great research out from the folks in California that's showing, I believe they've got decades of research over there at DARPA and the Flow Genome Project in Southern California. They're looking at after a 20 minute session of what we would call alpha brainwaves or meditation, that they're getting on average 5X productivity. That's a 500% increase in productivity for about four hours after a 20 minute session of just sitting there doing nothing. Huh. So if you're not gonna scuba dive or, or, or surf or ski every morning before work, maybe download one of those apps you've been hearing about like the Insight Timer. That's my favorite meditation app because it's free and just hit play on a guided meditation just five minutes a day and see if you don't start performing better after 30 days of that. Yeah. And if you look at that as a luxury, folks, that's, that was called hunting and gathering when we lived outside. Mm -hmm. We did it every day. It was called hunting your meat. You had to be in the alpha brainwave state. You had to be fully focused. Yeah. Now we, just, we don't have to, so we don't go there. What I thought was really interesting in how you introduced meditation to our group 
is just not always activity that you think it is, right? It's not always just being quiet. It could just be something that, you know, your brain doesn't have to really engage. And it could yeah. be, it could be cycling, probably not Peloton because you're paying attention, but it could be anything that's sort of repetitive where you can kind of zone out, right? Yeah. Have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle with your kids? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Meditation right there yeah. because you don't look at the, or, or played Monopoly, right? Yeah. Nobody's looking at the time. You're looking yeah. at the game. You're paying attention to the game. All of a sudden, oh my God, it's been three hours. Yeah. Three hours just passed and you didn't know it. That's called meditation. Yeah. Right. So it could be something as simple. I'll tell you how to measure this. The, the sophisticated measurement, it's so sophisticated. A lot of people aren't going to understand how sophisticated this is. Did you lose track of time doing something you love? Mm-hmm. That's how you measure it. Yeah. That's if you did, that's meditation. I just had a laugh when you when you said the kid part because I have young kids. My kids are pretty young, so I nothing really with them is truly zoning out. Um, it's a lot of screaming, crying. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me, I, I scream and cry all the time. <laughs> but I get I get the larger point. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's chat about another area that there's just so much different information. No one knows who to trust. It's probably one of the this sketchiest places you can go online and look for stuff and it's oh, great supplements yeah so, so. that industry sucks yeah. there's no oversight at all yeah. so i i believe i still have the link up on my website on the additional support page uh there was i think it was nbc years ago they just went to a store and just just pulled supplements off the shelf all willy-nilly shoved them in a cart uh paid for those supplements went back and tested them in a lab to see what's in them and they found in some of the supplements, there wasn't even an active ingredient in the entire bottle. Mm. And some of these uh, things had so much contamination. If you were to overconsume the supplement that's supposed to be healthy, you could have contamination problems in your body. So with no oversight, we have to be very, very careful of whose supplements we're buying mm-hmm. and, and how much we're taking. So I love uh, labdoor.com. They're a fantastic website to go. It's L-A-B-D-O-O-R, labdoor.com. And they're an independent review site that's funded by angel investors. So there's no way supplement companies can buy their way to the top of that list. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, they just do a reverse analysis of all the supplements and then rank them. And they give it a score. And if, the, if you have a supplement that's not on there, uh, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Chances are, if you got it from your pharmacist, if it's a pharmacy brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know like Wellness Works is a great brand that pharmacies sell uh, standard process you know, maybe somebody's got a, a naturopath or a, or a functional medicine doc that sells standard process. Great company, very well tested. Again, all of the really good supplements mm-hmm. will offer you up a certificate of analysis mm-hmm. to show you here's what's in it. We have a third party verification. If mm-hmm. a company doesn't have that, probably stop buying their stuff because it might not be exactly what you're paying for. And there may even be harmful stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So I just be very, very careful. I tell people to be cautious all the time. And you know, if, if people want guidance on that, I send a list, Keith, you've got my list. Here's mm-hmm. what I put in my body. Here's mm-hmm. what I put in my body every day because I vetted these companies. I know a bunch of the manufacturers. I know the I know the CEOs of the companies because it takes a while for us to do some of that research. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, I'm sick of looking labdoor.com does it all just Mm -hmm. go on there find a whatever a multivitamin that they've ranked that one that ranks high and if it's in your uh uh, price point that you can afford buy that one Mm -hmm. and a lot of their links you can just buy that stuff on amazon so 
I don't want to get you in any, any trouble, so I won't say the name, but those big retail stores that have lots of locations. I mean, do people have to be you know, leery walking into one of those? I, I, I just don't do stuff in, in those kinds of operations. Yeah. yeah. Somebody that knows stuff that you trust. Yeah. And yeah. Guys, look, if there were 10,000 of me, that wouldn't be enough. Yeah. So uh, you can go to my website. That's fine. If you have yeah. questions, you, uh, you, we're going to go over how to contact me. I don't yeah. mind if 2,000 people a month contact me and want help. But what you have to realize is you don't need me. Mm. You just go to Labdoor. Mm-hmm. See how they rank but it's always like ah, i need a protein what protein's better man that gets tricky yeah because every protein manufacturer is going to say my protein's better and here's right. why right right is it yeah <laughs> what are you yeah. putting in it what what kind of stuff is in there do you have to sweeten the heck out of it to make it tasty that's yeah. where i tell people look if you need help with that if you need help with a good protein powder my buddy mark is a master at product formulation he's created one that i use let's yeah. use that one not because I, I said so but because mark's got a clean product and it tastes like melted ice cream mm. that's why and it's yeah. super clean yeah love it love it um let's uh let's go to a few topics that i really don't know much about uh at all um and I think they sort of, you know, we talked about what do the athletes do? What do the billionaires do? Um, not a world-class athlete. Unfortunately, I'm not a billionaire either. So Me neither. Uh, yeah, but you know, we can, we can learn from what some of these folks do have access to every resource, you know, around the world. So yeah. um, let's start with, you know, the hyperbaric chambers, you know, the therapy chambers, you know, it, it, we never know if these things are gimmicks or really what the benefits are. Um, and then just kind of thinking ahead, you know, stem cells and IV therapies, I mean, these sorts of things, kind of talk of, of what you know, the most cutting edge things that people are doing, whether it's those three things or others. Yeah. Well, so if I were to tell people, here's what's next, right? If, mm-hmm. if I were to look at what is coming, mm-hmm. give, give us 20 years for the, look, medicine moves almost as slow as government, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still in daylight savings time. We move our time forward mm-hmm. and back because of what happened in 1938. Give me a break. It's been almost 100 years. You think we would have voted that out by now? But nope, mm-hmm. haven't. Well, finally now in the House, right? Maybe, but yeah. yeah, it's government moves slow. Medicine moves just as slow. There's systems in the body that they discovered in 1990 that most medical schools still aren't teaching about. Mm-hmm. So it's a slow moving process. Here's what's coming. And you'll, we can look, I know Russia's in the news, like everyone in Russia is horrible because of what's happening in Ukraine. And and I'm not going to comment on politics, but I can tell you, Russia has been using hyperbaric oxygen for decades for multiple human disorders with great results, but we're not here in the U S yet. So hyperbaric oxygen was discovered in the, in the early 1800s, late 1800s, when people would go deep sea diving. Um, before scuba diving, right? This is before self-contained apparatus when they were wearing the big diving helmets. And here's how they discovered it. The guys that would cut themselves when they were diving, their wounds would heal so much faster than the guys up on deck. Mm-hmm. And that's where the observation came from. Is why is that? Well, why are they healing so quickly and the guys up here aren't? So when they started to look into what's happening, it turns out extra oxygen is really good for you and can induce a couple of things that your body will do anyway. So it speeds the healing process, by, but how? How is this happening? So more oxygen, it, we know oxygen creates oxidative load, right? So it can become toxic. 
but it's, it's not so much so to the healthy cells, they know what to do with it. Mm. Extra oxygen becomes hypertoxic for the non-healthy cells, for the senescent cells, maybe even some of the early cancer cells that can't deal with extra oxygen because that oxidative load will kill them. Mm. Again, healthy cells know what to do, weak cells don't. So I give you a bunch of extra oxygen because I put you at pressure when I do it. And that creates partial pressure difference, differences in those tissues. And those that are lacking oxygen, the body will read that partial pressure differential and say, I need more oxygen there. And it'll induce something called angiogenesis, where the body actually regrows blood vessels into that area to get more oxygen there. And it does it faster when the, when the pressure changes between the two tissues. So we increase partial pressure differences in tissues. And then all of a sudden angiogenesis is sped up, meaning more blood flow because I'm creating new micro blood vessels to the area. I also do the same kind of thing with neurons, more neurons to that area. So neurogenesis increases, uh, vascular uh, um, ability to carry oxygen increases to tissues that need that oxygen. Angiogenesis increases, uh, inflammation goes down because again, weak cells are dying. So that lowers systemic inflammation in the long-term because I'm creating so much oxidative load in the short term. Mm -hmm. So hyperbaric oxygen, if you look at, I would probably guess about every single NFL player that's, that's, uh, that you've heard of in the news, right? Mm -hmm. They probably have a hyperbaric chamber at home. So how, how accessible is this for the everyday person? I yeah, mean, not really, not yet, because not insurance yet. doesn't usually cover it. Insurance will cover hyperbaric if you're advanced diabetic and you've got diabetic foot ulcers because mm -hmm. they know it works to help heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll cover insurance will cover hyperbaric if you're exposed to carbon monoxide poisoning. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll cover hyperbaric if you have skin grafts from systemic burns and you're trying to heal the wounds from extreme burns. They'll mm -hmm. cover it for that. They won't cover it for things like uh, where I've seen some data. Now, again, I'm not a doctor, but I've met people uh, that have had Parkinson's nearly go away from having days and days in a row of hyperbaric. I'm not saying hyperbaric cures Parkinson's. I'm saying, let's do look at some of the research that's going on specifically mm -hmm. in some of the other countries where this is standard of care. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of things that might be going wrong with humans where mm -hmm. hyperbaric might be appropriate. I like to use it a couple of weeks out of the year uh, just because it's kind of a good, uh, I look at it kind of like an oil change for the car, right? Mm. Let's just get some new stuff in there in case yeah. something's going wrong that I can't feel. I'll remind people that you can't usually feel cancer until it's too late. Mm -hmm. so, so maybe I go in there and create a bunch of oxidative chaos for a couple of weeks in a row in case something was in there and maybe I get it early or just to create some more blood flow to my fingertips because I, ha I do have some, I have some damage from old, old, old uh, carpal tunnel. I don't have that anymore. I didn't have surgeries or anything. I just stopped doing the thing that was exacerbating that condition, but I did get some, uh, some blood flow issues from it. So I go to add a little bit more blood flow to my fingers and get some more neurons in my brain. It's, it's super, super healthy. Uh, we were, for a, about a year, we were working on a documentary that we, we ditched the project, but the documentary was specifically about how to heal the brain after traumatic trauma. Uh, mm. So traumatic brain injury, uh, CTE, which is uh, chronic traumatic uh, encephalopathy, which is a, basically an advanced form of traumatic brain injury uh, and concussion, and what hyperbaric can do for that. Mm. And if you look at CTE and hyperbaric, 
fantastic data coming out of Louisiana, amazing data coming out of uh, my friends over in Research Triangle Park. Uh, Ed over there owns Extavita Clinic. They, they're one of the most fascinating hyperbaric clinics in the country, in my opinion, because he has a 12 person chamber. So Keith, you don't go in alone and feel claustrophobic. You're going with 10 or 11 other people and a nurse. Oh, wow. And wow. if we all in there together. Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's fantastic. And that brings the price way down too, because a lot mm-hmm. of folks that are having to do these treatments uh, preemptively or, or, or maybe post-surgically, they're doing it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And rather than a one-on-one relationship with a provider where I might be paying 600 bucks a treatment, I think extavita has got it down to just less than $200 a treatment because oh. I can put 10 people in at a time. World-class facility. That's yeah. Extavita in, uh, in RTP. Beautiful, beautiful people. Got it. it and just out of curiosity, so world-class athletes putting it in their, in their house, what, what does something like that go for? Well, so if I were to get one of the rubberized zip up ones that only goes to an atmosphere and a half, those are right around five to $10,000. Uh, they probably don't have those, or maybe they do, but the $30,000 units, the Kevlar units, $30,000, um, they'll go all the way up to three atmospheres. And really, when we look at therapeutic benefit, any difference is good, right? Any mm-hmm. atmospheric pressure is good because I'm going to increase that, that partial pressure. Uh, but I like the two atmosphere, two and a half atmosphere range because I think it's far more therapeutic from the data I've been seeing from the mm-hmm. folks that have been doing this for a while. So, but even a $5,000 zip up rubber unit, I don't see any harm in having one at home. A lot of times we'll need a, a, a physician probably to get that O2 to us. Mm-hmm. Right. You might want to have a, a some sort of a, a nurse or a physician helping you out with that thing. But mm-hmm. the in-home units are really that's the cost of a really nice sauna. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either get the, the kitchen and bath redone or, you know, just or get, a, get a Kevlar hyper. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. OK. All right. Um, I mean, that's a lot of money, but honestly, I, I thought it would, I thought it would be even more. Yeah, it's really, um, yeah. really not that bad for some of those softer. I mean, even the Kevlar units are fairly soft. They're yeah. moving around fairly easy. Yeah. Uh, now if you're looking for one of those giant steel units, good luck. You know, you're going to have to take out a second mortgage for that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what about IV therapies? And, you know, are they just for Las Vegas? Are they just <laughs> for, you know, the airport? Uh, I have a friend who owns a company that does that. And I always just thought, oh, that's an interesting concept that I don't really know what that does. But after hearing you talk, I went back to him and, you know, semi-apologize, even though I, you know, just maybe I, I doubted this, you know, so t- tell me, tell us about the benefits of IV therapies. Well, everyone, everyone doubts it because they're doing it in Vegas at the hotels. So like, well, <laughs> right. That's for right. drunk people to get rehydrated. Well, yeah. guess what? It's a great way to rehydrate, even if you're not hung over the next day. Yeah. So not only is a a really fantastic way to just shove a bunch of extra hydration into your body very, very quickly because it's straight into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. But think about this. If I can mainline nutrients that I might not be getting enough of, like vitamin C. So here's the deal. If you're listening, you have a capacity on a daily basis to maybe shove in three grams of vitamin C a day through mm-hmm. your mouth, maybe two. And, and more than that's going to end an extreme GI upset and you're not gonna leave the bathroom for an hour or so. It's just our GI system can't handle too much vitamin C per day. But if I shove it in your blood, I can get 20 grams in there Mm. in like an hour. 
yeah. with a bunch of extra saline to, to help hyperhydrate you. Mm -hmm. So what I look at IV therapy for is getting a whole bunch of extra nutrients into the body very quickly, very safely, and with really uh, no long-term detriment at all, unless somebody's on a prescription drug or a blood thinner where this is a horrible idea. That's why most IV clinics will have a physician overseeing the process and the nurses are there to oversee the process. So they've got medical staff because they're gonna be shoving a needle in your body and leaving it there for a while. Even there's even uh, some systems out there that'll come to your house. Mm -hmm. We do IV therapy in the home, right? They'll come deliver it. They'll, a nurse will come and they'll shove bags in you while you watch Netflix for an hour. Yeah. So I, I look at what we can do there, right? I can get extra glutathione in your blood. It's probably still not gonna go into the cells, but I can get it in the blood. Glutathione is the master antioxidant. I can get a bunch of NAD in your body. That's a molecule your body's mitochondria are gonna to use to make energy. So I can give you a giant boost of cellular energy. I can give you a whole ton of vitamin C. There's a bunch of nutrients that we can just jack into your bloodstream. And it's just comfortable. You get an IV in there, they put a couple of bags up on an IV hook and you just hang out and watch TV in a room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. I, I like that as a as a monthly or for some people, if they can afford it, a bi-weekly. Uh, let's just go in and get a Myers cocktail. You guys can look up what's in that bunch of vitamin C, a bunch of other minerals and nutrients. Uh, Myers cocktail with a little glutathione push. Uh, and, and maybe that helps somebody recover from an illness. Maybe that helps somebody not get sick in the first place. Uh, maybe it just helps them feel better. And it gives you more energy. And let's face it, when we have more energy, we tend to operate healthier than yeah. when we're sick and lethargic. We tend to eat Doritos when we feel like that right. and reach for that comfort food versus, you know what? I think I will have that apple and go for a walk like Dan yeah. said. Yeah, good. Because you have the energy to do it. So, so I like that monthly, uh, quarterly. Heck, even if you're doing it once every six months, there's benefit in that versus never, ever doing it at all. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you guys, look, we don't need this. Animals don't need this. Dogs aren't getting IVs in nature, but let's face it. We don't live outside anymore. We yeah. live in an environment that's fairly toxic, right? The yeah. EMF that's all over the place from Wi-Fi and our phones and our computers and electricity and the formaldehyde vapors that carpets release and the brake dust from traffic in the city and the jet fuel exhaust from, we've got toxins all around us. If you're drinking out of a plastic bottle, good luck to you and your testosterone because there's entire volumes written about how that might be a long-term issue. So to counter that, we sit down once a month and shove an IV in our body to counter some of what modern society is doing mm -hmm. to us as humans. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I'll throw the bottles away. Quite a few of those. <laughs> um, stainless steel, man. Stainless steel or glass, get an so. RO filter, reverse osmosis filter on it. You don't need the fancy, uh, whatever the filters are called that give you yeah. alkaline water. You don't got to, you don't have to spend $5,000 on this. Just get a nice, simple RO filter, uh, get a stainless steel or glass bottle and fill it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. no, funny. It's funny uh, what you're saying about the travel IV. So, but you have the same friend who that's his. So he's, yeah. they travel around and he says, he, he's like, yeah, I can't tell you the names, but every major athlete in Houston that yeah. you know of, we, yes. we, we, uh, we go to their house and while they watch they TV. Charge them triple too, don't they? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Um, Stem cells. I just want to cover this one, and and you know we you're being so generous with with your time, and I, I so appreciate that. Um, stem cells. I I don't know if this was around when I got my shoulder surgery, but I sort of wish it 
were, I would have probably tried a shot in my, uh, in my shoulder first. So talk to us about that kind of yeah. what it is for, th- for folks who don't know. I'll go super basic here, right? We have cells in our body right now, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them hiding in your pores of your skin um, mm-hmm. that can become any cell that your body asks them to become. So these are like, they're you, but they're not yet a liver cell. Mm-hmm. They're a possible liver cell, possible heart cell, possible skin cell, possible whatever. Mm-hmm. And your body, when it needs repair, will send out a signal saying, send some stem cells. And then your body sends stem cells, they become whatever it needs to be, and then your body heals, right? We live in this beautiful self-healing machine. Way more stem cells when we're younger than when we're older. Mm. So what we can find, and what this is really Dr. Neil Reardon. I, I, the man's amazing. Uh, Dr. Neil Reardon wrote the definitive work on consumer-facing stem cell books. Uh, so if you just look up stem cells and Dr. Neil, and then his name is R-I-O-R-D-A-N, I believe, Dr. Neil Reardon, uh, you'll find uh, his book. And he's got a clinic, uh, offices in Dallas, and I believe his one of his treatment facilities is still in Panama. And what basically what happens is if, we can, if I can take some of your stem cells out, regrow a bunch more, and then shove them back either into your joints locally or straight into your bloodstream so that they go systemically because I'm sending in so many extras, Mm -hmm. especially as we age, your body has that much more ability to heal itself with stem cells they pulled out of you and regrew and then jacked back into your bloodstream or straight into your shoulder. Mm -hmm. And the anecdotal evidence is huge. The scientific evidence is, is fantastic to the point where right now, Keith, if you were to just Google stem cells, Houston, mm-hmm. you're going to see so many therapeutic clinics for spine injuries, joints, shoulders, knees, where stem cells may be a more viable, less intrusive option than just replacing the whole joint. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what happens is if I've got a tear in one of my, let's say it's in my meniscus and, and a, a physician says, yeah, we can put stem cells in there. That should heal up in about three months. They, they just put a needle with your own stem cells that they pulled out of you. They put it back in you. And then all of a sudden the body just heals itself. And in some folks, it heals itself to the point where they don't even realize they ever had the injury in the first place. Wow. So I always tell my folks that are having hip issues and knee issues and shoulder injuries, look, before you let a surgeon cut you wide open and do weird stuff in there that may or may not work, Mm-hmm. at least consult with a stem cell physician mm-hmm. and see if stem cells or platelet-rich plasma or exosomes, maybe those are a viable option to see if they work first. Mm. That, that may be a better option. But what I like about this is when people have systemic issues all over mm-hmm. and then they walk out of Dr. Reardon's clinic after being wheeled in in a wheelchair I love those stories. Some of the work that he writes about in autism and how stem cells and autism, the stories coming out of Dr. Reardon's clinics are just unbelievable. Hmm. But again, this is one of those billionaires are doing it. Most people can't afford it because it's out of pocket insurance in most cases isn't covering this stuff, Mm -hmm. especially for, you know, conditions where they just, they're not going to cover it. Right, right. So how much, how much is, is a shot? So you've got a, you got a meniscus, you want to try this. 
that's going to vary, but, yeah. but really people need to prepare for anywhere between, I'm sure, you know, it depends on if it's a round of shots or if it's a single treatment. Uh, I've seen anywhere between five and $15,000 for a joint. Yeah. Uh, I've heard people talking 25 to 35,000 for systemic stem cells with their trip down to Panama. Yeah. So it really depends. But what I would tell people to do is there's a lot of things we might be able to look at Mm-hmm. before we just jump straight into, yeah, put me under, cut me open and let's hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Right? What if the self-healing machine just needs a little nudge from something else first? Maybe that'll work better. And again, not a doctor, not telling people what to do. If your doctor says you need the surgery, you're going to die. Hey, listen to your doctor. But if it's it, my shoulder's killing me, I think I tore something maybe before you go in and have a surgery, you talk to somebody that could do something less invasive with quite possibly less long-term side effects. Mm-hmm. Maybe that works. And, and you know, these guys aren't going to uh, jack you around. They're not going to say, yeah, let's do it. Let's see what happens. If they can't treat you, they're going to tell you, yeah, that's way beyond what we're going to be able to do. You need to go see a surgeon. Great. Right. Right. At least that maybe what we'd consider a second opinion before you had somebody cut you open. Yeah. Nothing against my surgeon friends. I, I, I love my surgeon friends. And there's a lot of people walking today because they've got new hips. Mm-hmm. But what if we could do something first that mm-hmm. delayed the need for a surgery? Maybe if they, we delayed it 10 or 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I anecdotally, I know folks who just swear by this and have had it and it's just been a miracle for them. So definitely wanted to ask you about that for folks who hadn't heard of it. Just the, you know, the, the last thing is measuring, you know, uh, you've got an OR ring, I've got an OR ring, I, I love it. Um, tell, tell people how things should be, what should be measured, how to measure it, what's the most important things, there's, there's a million different things, you know, people could look at, but what are the most important metrics? Well, since this is a business podcast, Keith, let's just go down the business route. We know this in business. If, if you're in business and you know business, mm-hmm. here's, here's the rule. You cannot change it if you cannot measure it. Mm-hmm. It's how it works. So if you're trying to change something about your body, you cannot change it unless you can measure it. And what I tell people is stop always focusing on the output, mm. right? Start focusing more on the input because that you can control. Mm-hmm. I can't control always. I can't always control what I weigh, mm-hmm. but I can control what I eat. My weight is an output measurement. The food I consume is an input measurement. Mm. Now, my steps, that's an input measurement that I can control. Unless I'm sick or in the hospital, I get it. Then you can't control it. But for the most part, you can control how many steps you take today. You can control how many hours of sleep you get. You can control whether you sweat or not. So what I tell people is if you fix the input, the output fixes itself. Mm. And I like watching the output. It's still good to step on the scale every now and again, but I'd rather you check your photos. Take a picture in front of the mirror in the same underwear every Sunday, once a week. You don't have to share them with people. You don't have to post them on Facebook and be accountable. Be accountable to yourself. You see yourself in the mirror every day. You might not see the progress Mm -hmm. in the way you look, in the body transformation. And part of that happens because muscle is about five times more dense than fat. Mm-hmm. So if I gain a pound of muscle and I lose a pound of fat, that transformation isn't going to look good on the scale at all. Mm-hmm. The, the number didn't move. 
But when I look in the mirror with five times less volume of fat in a pound of muscle to replace it, I'm going to look radically different. And that's just one pound. Yeah. Imagine what happens in two years when it's three or four pounds. Mm -hmm. It's a giant difference. I mean, 20 times less the volume. Mm -hmm. That The pictures don't lie and the body fat percentage on the scale doesn't lie. So if you have a scale that does body fat percentage, let's use those as output measurements. How do you look? Maybe do actual measurements, right? Maybe measure your bicep, maybe measure your thighs, measure your waist, measure your hips, measure your, your, uh, your chest area. Let's see if those are shrinking, but the photos really are what we want to look at. Take mm -hmm. a picture, same position, same lighting, same time of day, same outfit. Mm -hmm. I always tell people bikini or underwear, whatever you want to wear, do front and side you're going to be great mm -hmm. every Sunday. No more than that. Trust me. It's things don't change that dramatically in seven days. So every yeah. seven days do that. And then daily measure your input mm. because I promise you, if you control the inputs, that output is going to do exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Input. How many hours did you sleep? How many steps did you get? And then yes or no, it's a yes or no question. Did you eat plants and animals only? Yes or no. If you ate Oreos and a whole sleeve of them, you're taking a no for the day, okay? If you had steak and eggs for breakfast and steak and lobster for dinner with a side of asparagus, you get a big fat yes for the day, let's mm -hmm. go, right? And if I tell you what, if you look at that seven days at a time, the more yeses you have, the more health you should expect. Those are the three primary basic inputs that everyone's doing anyway. I don't have to ask for more time on that, right? Right. You know, sleep 10,000 steps, yes or no on food. Right. If those are all green all the time. You should expect weight loss to be a natural side effect of that. And you should expect more energy, better relationships, better productivity. And let me tell you, since we're on a business podcast and you guys are doing recruiting, I will tell you something in my experience of working uh, what, what we call a job for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. When I hired people, I, I'm going to tell you, this is how humans work. If everything else is the same about two people, I would always hire the one that looked fitter and healthier, always. That's in those studies are well established. You can see the studies in pharmaceuticals on the performance of fit and healthy people versus those that aren't as fit and healthy. And again, I'm not being discriminatory. I'm telling you, that's how my brain just naturally did things. Mm. Somebody was equally as qualified as somebody else. Fit and healthy people win. That's mm. how it works because that's evolutionary science and humans. Fit and healthy people are who we want to hang out with. Mm. Does that mean safety for the tribe? It's one of those weird animal things we have mm -hmm. stuck with us. Yeah. So look, if you're going to be fit and healthy, keep keep good care of this machine. You only get one. Yeah. Yeah. And the side effects of keeping good care of this machine is you might be more hireable. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. amazing. Right? Yeah. The uh, I think you, you and Charles Barkley sort of have the same approach. So he said, if you don't know if you're fat, just take your clothes off and go in front of the mirror. It's like, you'll know if you're fat, you know, it's just that simple. Right. So, um, well, I, you know, I cannot thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for doing this and, and being on here. And, you know, it wasn't only me that was affected, you know, when you, when you have a speaker come and speak to your company, you know, how everybody listening knows how it is. Right. I mean, we, we listen, you write notes, you have a couple of takeaways, you're very motivated. And then a couple of weeks pass, more weeks pass. And then what have you really implemented? 
it wasn't just me. Um, I, I asked after, I think it was about a month and a half after uh, Dan spoke to our group and I asked our team, is there anything that you've implemented? I mean, just open-ended. And if you have, just, just send me an email. Almost every single person at the company responded with what they'd done. And I forwarded those to Dan. And so he, he could see those as, as well and see the, the effect that, they, um, that he'd had. For me personally, uh, just to come back to that, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, one of my friends called me, he's, he, he said, you've been looking pretty dumpy. I think that was probably the best way to describe. Okay. It wasn't that I'm, you know, it's obvious that I need to lose weight or anything like that, but just for me, pretty dumpy. And I'd say I've probably been dumpy for about a decade, I'd say probably about a decade of dumpiness. So, you know, I, I, I exercise a lot that wasn't working. Um, six days of cardio that wasn't working. Um, but when, what you said about the fact that we don't always need to eat, I mean, that resonated with me because how many times do we all eat when we're not hungry? It's just out of habit. You know, when we had you at the kickoff and there are muffins everywhere, there was nothing healthy there. And you said, you know what, I'm just not going to eat because I don't need to eat. I could just wait to find something healthy. And that, that resonated with me. So, you know, I tried intermittent fasting, um, that the schedule that you're talking about, sort of one, one, uh, eight is your schedule. And I, I played with that 12 to seven or all that kind of stuff that didn't work for me either because it's not really natural for me. So what works for me, and again, this might not work for anybody else. I have an egg in the morning and I don't eat again until dinner. I just don't eat during the day. And I don't eat during the day because I don't really need to eat during the day. I, I haven't eaten today. It's almost four o'clock here. And I don't need to, because when I eat a big lunch, I just, it, I just go off the rails, you know, and, and I just, if I eat breakfast, I go off the rails. And so I just start eating too much and I get sluggish and all that kind of stuff. This works for me. I can still eat dinner and then afterwards have popcorn and binge a little bit. And really I'm still within my window. So yeah. that's been super easy for me. And like I said, I, I've dropped 20 pounds without really even thinking about it. I've, I'm doing actually less cardio than I was before. So I'm doing weights and stuff. I'm doing cardio too, but not quite as fanatically as I, as I was. So just, you know, something for th folks to think about more, not necessarily to follow what I'm doing, but follow what, you know, works for your lifestyle and, and you, for me, I eat late at night and that works for me because I've always been a late night eater. And so now I can still do that. I don't need to eat during the day. So that's so my eating window, which is, which is funny because it kind of crosses over a boundary and it's late night to early morning. Whereas yeah. most people like, like me, we start in the afternoon and then, end, mm -hmm. you know, right around seven, what I would just counsel people that are listening to that is if you do this, uh, uh, shortened feeding window and you do pay attention to just eating less food, maybe consider, uh, where are your micronutrient levels at? Are you getting all the minerals and, and, and all of the micronutrients that your body needs? And if you don't think you are, it is pretty safe to pick up a whole food micronutrient supplement uh, mm -hmm. like Garden of Life's Raw One. They make a great one a day supplement with tons of micronutrients. And it's basically just dehydrated food in a pill. Mm -hmm. So it's not a bunch of synthetics combined together. It's, it's a whole food vitamin supplement to assist in the gaps mm -hmm. that might be being left because you've sh shortened the amount of food that you're eating into a smaller window and then just naturally eaten less. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you recall, I, I sent you a text uh, when I started doing this and just asked you, is this okay? Am I doing it? And you said, and that's what you told me, as long as you know, you're tracking your macros and getting what you need in that window, then, then you should be okay. So 
again, um, if you're if you're watching this, you know, two months from now, and I've ballooned, you know, doubled in size, and forget everything I just said. But hopefully, that's not yeah. Hopefully so, that's you guys, here's the thing: none of this is temporary. Yeah. Just keep doing. Just yeah. eat healthy, move lots, get good sleep. Yeah. Like really, it's not it's not a temporary. We don't do that until we get to a point. We do that so that we get to a point, and that point for me is 130 years old. So yeah, don't watch me balloon up at 129. <laughs> Seven five years old because it won't care. Yeah, exactly. A quarter of a year to go. Exactly. I, let's face it, I'm not going to talk that gravelly. But, but yeah, so I mean, there's no ballooning up for anyone that's on this program because it's not a temporary program to get weight right. loss. It's a long-term strategy to live a better life. Yeah, yeah. No, well, well put. Uh, what is the best way for folks to reach out to you where people can find more information, get links to some of the different products that you've vetted? Where, yeah, where can they just go? Call my cell phone directly. I'm kidding. Don't <laughs> I was going to say. Just, just my website, danmillerwellness.com. Easy peasy. I've got some stuff on there. And if the stuff you want to hear or see isn't on there, there's contact pages all over that website. Those emails go to my team and, and the, the really awesome ones that they can't answer, I answer personally. So uh, danmillerwellness.com. That's got all my social links, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Those are all on there. I am not on Twitter. Don't look. I don't, I don't like that platform. I will shortly be on Minds. Uh, that is, a, that is a, a brilliant new social platform. That'll be up very, very soon. But yeah, just danmillerwellness.com. I didn't hear TikTok. Did you say TikTok? No, not TikTok. No, okay. Okay. No, just my, making my sure. My clients are, are 50 year old executives. Okay. They're not on TikTok. They're not, they're not TikTokers. Their grandkids are, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah. All right. Well, well, perfect. Again, thank you so much. I know we went way longer than, than, uh, than you budgeted for. So I appreciate that. And thank you for being so generous with your time. And thank you for everyone watching, listening. If you've missed any past episodes, again, go to myonelifepodcast.com and we will see you soon. Thanks again.